Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Welcome in, everybody, to episode 189 of the podcast that is sweeping America, the Air Torres Sports Podcast. People, do I have a great show for you today. All right, so I know, listen, first of all, I'm going to apologize in advance. I may have told a little fib here over the last couple weeks because what I've said is that as we get closer to basketball season, I am going to integrate more and more basketball into the show. But coming off an unbelievable Saturday in college football, uh, I really feel like I have no choice but to talk almost exclusively college football because there is so much to get into from Saturday. Uh, My arch nemesis, Georgia, who I've been calling a fraud for a year now, they go down to South Carolina. I owe South Carolina an apology, by the way. We'll get into that. LSU wins at home, and now they're set up very much for a potential one versus two, Bama versus LSU for the SEC West Championship here in a couple weeks. We got that going on. We got Oklahoma. They may finally have a defense to match up with um, with uh, with the best teams in college football and a potential playoff berth. We have so much to get into. I have an A&M take, too. Texas A&M loses to Alabama. So we're going to talk predominantly football today, although I will add, One basketball nugget that I will get into at the end, Uh, Evan Daniels, friend of this show, he was actually the first guest I ever had on this show, Um, he came out today with a crystal ball prediction for the number two high school player in the country, Cade Cunningham. For people who don't know, Cade Cunningham's brother goes to Oklahoma State. It's been long believed that Cade Cunningham would eventually end up at Oklahoma State. Evan Daniels coming out today saying that he thinks that Cade Cunningham may end up at the University of Kentucky. So we will get into that on the back end of the show. But again, today's show predominantly football. Again, I know I promised we're going to do more basketball. I gave you a mailbag last week. We had Nick Coffey on to talk about ACC uh, Media Day in basketball. But today, we got to talk football because this was one of the Saturdays that y- you wait all summer for, right? All summer long, you're at the beach and you're, you're barbecuing and you're grilling and it's Saturday and you're having a great time. And you're like, but man, wait until September. Wait until October. Wait until we get into college football and Saturday delivered in the biggest way. So we will get into that. I should mention if you do want basketball content, don't worry. We have some unbelievable guests coming up over the next two or three weeks. I have like literally five people booked. Uh, none of the interviews are ready to go today, but I believe, I'll just say this, we have three or four coaches that I think you'll be interested in. We have a couple media guys, and I don't generally bring in other media guys because I don't just want people's opinions if uh 
you know, listen, I do opinions, right? Like I don't need somebody else to just come on and talk random things, but there are a couple media guys that I think are very unique friends of this show who I'm going to have back on because they bring some unique perspective to the show. So if you are a hoops head, just be patient. The guests are lined up. We are going to be talking college hoops in the lead up to the Champions Classic, which is now basically three weeks away by the time you guys listen to this. November 6th is, of course, the opening night of college basketball season. I record here on October 13th. The 14th is, of course, when you will be listening to this show. And from there, we will talk a lot of basketball. But today, we are focused on football. Before we get into the show, I want to remind all you guys, please make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. To all of you, who have subscribed, who have rated, who have reviewed. Thank you so much. If you're new to the show, and I got a lot of new followers this week because I went after Georgia, I crushed Georgia, and I'm going to keep crushing Georgia later on in the show. But if you're new to the show, make sure you're subscribed. You can do it on iTunes slash Apple Podcasts. You can do it on Podcast Addict. If you have an Android, Podcast Addict is the best place to download this show. You can also find it on Spotify. You can find it on TuneIn Radio. Pod Paradise, basically wherever you listen to podcasts, you can get this show. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Give us a quick five stars. I've said it before. It's kind of like Uber, right? Even if Uber, the experience isn't great, you still give five stars. Give us a quick five stars. If you want to leave a review like uh, like Jay Strunk, who told us that this show is a lifesaver, that this show is a delicious podcast. We talked about Jay Strunk last week. Thank you to him or her, I guess, in theory. Thank you to Sarah, who told us that she gets through the busy day in Atlanta traffic listening to the show. By the way, Sarah, if you're a UGA fan, I'm sorry. I'm about to crush the University of Georgia Bulldogs right now, so I apologize in advance. But again, whether you're Sarah, whether you're Jay Strunk, whoever you are, please make sure to rate and review the show. Give us a quick five stars. Also, Follow us, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast on Instagram. That is where I'm posting so much stuff. My college football picks have been on fire. I went five and two on Saturday. I'm winning over 60% of my bets. So you should be following me there. Uh, And finally, if you have any questions, we'll probably hit another college basketball mailbag here down the road. But Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. All right, so let's get into what was by far the best weekend in college football of the season. And I've spent a lot of time talking about this, but but you know, listen, it's been a little bit of a frustrating year in college football because there haven't been a ton of marquee matchups for whatever reason. Uh, the ones that have been there just really haven't lived up to the hype. Now, look, LSU Texas was awesome earlier in the year. Um, you know, Oregon Auburn came down to the wire, but for the most part, it's been a lot of duds. I mean, uh, you know, uh, Clemson A and M was a dud. Alabama A and M this weekend was a dud. Clemson Syracuse was a dud. So there haven't been a ton of big games, but it's kind of what I told you guys last week, right? Is you got to be patient. There's a reason that you don't eat ice cream for dinner and you don't eat it as an appetizer. You eat it for dessert, you save the best for last. And so what I think happened is that we have had a very quiet first five weeks of college football. And you know what happened? Or first six weeks, I guess. You know what happened? It set up for an unbelievable week seven. But you know what the great thing about college football is? We came into this weekend and we were sure, I was positive, that I was going to open this show today and I was going to be talking Oklahoma, Texas, 
What's up with Oklahoma? Is Texas good? What What's the story there? LSU, Florida, maybe I'd talk that. Maybe I'd talk Alabama A&M if A&M could keep things close. No, I'm going to talk about the South Carolina Gamecocks and the Georgia Bulldogs. But this is what makes college football great, right? You think you know what the storyline is going to be going into a weekend, and then something absolutely absurd happens. And this is what's great about the sport of college football, right? You go into a busy NBA Saturday, you don't think you're going to talk Warriors Spurs and end up talking um, Charlotte Hornets Milwaukee Bucks. Like, you don't do it. But college football, you never know where the storylines are going to come from. And today's biggest storyline comes from a place that I would have never expected it, and it is the South Carolina-Georgia game. And I can't lie, guys. I have never been more excited to talk about a college football game than this one because I have been telling you for a year, the Georgia Bulldogs are a fraud. They are the Enron of college football. I am so tired of them. I am so sick of them. This dates back to last year. It really dates back to two years ago. I am so sick of Georgia. I'm so sick of the media narrative around them. And I am so, so, so happy that they got what was coming to them this week. I should also, by the way, apologize to South Carolina, because if you're listeners of the show, you know that after week one, when South Carolina ended up losing to North Carolina in the season opener, I said, I'm never talking about South Carolina on the show again. They're the same team every year. They never beat any teams that matter. They're going to go seven and five. They're going to be boring. They play a boring style of football. And so South Carolina, I owe you apology. I don't even know if there's any South Carolina fans that listen to this show, but if there are, I apologize. I was wrong about your program. And credit to you guys for one of the biggest wins, not only of this season, but in recent years for your program. The problem with this game, though, is that it's not really about South Carolina. What it's about is the Georgia Bulldogs. And I told you this. I said it right a minute ago. They are the Enron of college football. They are the biggest frauds going in sports. And I cannot be happier to talk about them today. And so to backtrack, if you don't know what I'm talking about, let me explain. And I know you guys do, but... Let's just kind of start from the top and let's go back. And that's obviously, look, we all know the story, right? Kirby Smart was at Alabama forever. He was Alabama's defensive coordinator. If you don't know who Kirby Smart is, Kirby Smart's the head coach at the University of Georgia. And he goes to Georgia, and Georgia had been good under Mark Rick, but they couldn't get over the top, and they, they ended up falling in big games. And eventually, like, Georgia and Mark Rick, they just kind of got into this rut where it was eight, nine, ten wins every year, but they were never really in the mix. So Kirby Smart gets there. Year two, they go to the national championship game. Now, they were actually very lucky to get there because, as I'll explain in a minute, uh, Oklahoma basically gagged away that game. We're going to talk a little bit about Oklahoma, but in the 2017-2018 college football playoff, Oklahoma gagged away the game against Georgia. But so Georgia gets the national championship game, and that is, of course, the famous game where Jalen Hurts is struggling. Alabama goes to the bench. They bring in Tua Tonga-Viola. Tua leads Alabama on a drive to win the national championship. He becomes the hero, and of course, Georgia goes down in flames. And so then what happens? We go through all of last year. Georgia loses at LSU, but they do what they have to do. They finish the regular season 11-1. They win the SEC East, and they go to the SEC championship game. And what happens in the SEC championship game? Georgia goes up by 14 points, going into the second half, Alabama's starting quarterback again gets hurt. And of course, this time it was two of the starting quarterback. Alabama has to go to the backup, Jalen Hurts. And what happens? Jalen Hurts leads him to a comeback victory. 
And so Georgia, for a second year in a row, last year in the SEC championship game, had Alabama on the ropes and couldn't put them away. And so at the time, like, okay, when that game happens, okay, no big deal. It's an incredible game. It's an incredible effort. Georgia is had clearly is is in the same vicinity as Alabama, but they're not Alabama. They can't close against Alabama. It's fine. There's a lot of programs that have been really close to Alabama but haven't really been able to get over the top. The only one that's been able to get over the top in the last decade really is Clemson. And so I thought that was it. I thought Georgia, they finished 11-2. and They lost the SEC championship game. It was a nice season. Let's give them credit for that. And they'll go to whatever bowl game and we'll move on and we'll go on to the playoff. But you know that's not what happened. You know what happened from there. All of a sudden, Georgia goes to the podium and they claim that because they played Alabama tougher than anybody, that they deserve a shot in the playoff. Now keep in mind, They weren't undefeated coming into this game. They had already lost to the second best team on their schedule, which was LSU. But they claimed that because they were close to Bama, because they tried really hard, because they they were so close and, and Bama's the number one team in the country, they deserve a shot. They should be in the playoff. And I'm, my head exploded. I was like, what are you talking about? You just lost to Alabama. You don't get another shot at them. Especially last year, if you remember the way that the playoff was structured, Alabama finished undefeated, Clemson finished undefeated, Notre Dame finished undefeated. Then he had Oklahoma, which was a one-loss Big 12 champ. They avenged the only loss on their schedule, which was to Texas. You had Ohio State, which was a one-loss Big 10 champ. And then you have Georgia. Two losses, more losses than anybody else, not an SEC champ, claiming that they deserve a spot in the playoff because they played Alabama so close. I remember sitting there thinking, like, you got to be insane. you got to be insane. And so they played up this narrative for the entire 12-hour period between when the SEC championship game ended and when the Final Four was announced. And I remember going on my radio show that night with Arnie Spanier saying, like, these guys are crazy. This isn't Little League. This isn't Pop Warner. You don't get credit for close wins. You got to win games. You got to win games. And so Georgia whined and complained and whined and complained and credit to the playoff committee because they did end up putting Oklahoma in as the fourth team in the college football playoff. Georgia got sent to the Sugar Bowl. What happened? They got smoked by Texas. Well, and of course, when that happened, oh, well, they, they couldn't focus because they thought they should be in the playoff. I don't care why you couldn't focus. You lost the game. You lost to Bama. Then you lost to Texas. You lost to three out of the four best teams on your schedule. Maybe three out of the best five because last year, They beat Florida and Kentucky, which were both pretty good in the SEC East. But the bottom line is you lost a couple big games. And by the way, that Bama team that you were claiming, oh, we were so close, Bama lost to Clemson. So Bama wasn't even the best team in the country last year. But Georgia put on this big front. And so my whole thing with Georgia for a year has been that they are the biggest fraud in sports. They are the only team that – I've been watching sports for 30 years. I'm in my early to mid-30s now. I can remember sports back to like 1991, 1992, okay? So it's, it's whatever, 27, 28 years. I mean, I have never, ever in all my time watching sports seen a team get so much credit for close losses as Georgia. Like I said, they're the end run of college football. They're a complete fraud. You don't get credit for close losses. This is big boy college football. I use the analogy on my radio show on Saturday night. Can you imagine... If the Houston Rockets are in the NBA playoffs and they play Golden State and they lose the Western Conference Finals in seven games like they did two years ago, and then the Rockets went to the podium and said, 
yeah, you know, I know we lost, but, uh, you know, rather than putting Cleveland in the finals, we should get to play the, the Warriors again in the finals. Why? That makes, that makes no sense, right? So the Houston Rockets losing the Western Conference finals to the Warriors, would the Rockets ever go to the podium and claim, well, we deserve another shot. We deserve another shot at them. No, of course not. That's absurd. Only that's exactly what George's was claiming. And so what I'm saying with Georgia is this. I've never seen a team in all my time covering sports that has ever gotten credit, more credit for close losses than the University of Georgia. Their whole facade, everything they're about has been built on almost beating Bama. And I'm so sick of this crap. Everybody else in college football, you got to actually win games. Clemson's got to win games to make the playoff. You know why we're talking about Clemson potentially surpassing Bama as the best program? It's because Clemson's beaten them twice in the last three years. That's why we're talking about Clemson, but we're talking about Georgia because the games were close. Give me a break. So you talk about a program that's been claiming that they're this close to Bama and they're one or two plays away two years in a row. Well, you didn't get it done, and you don't get credit for close losses. And so I was so happy last yesterday to see, one, I'm happy for South Carolina because, by the way, I should mention, Georgia was at home. South Carolina was down to their third-string quarterback by the end of the day, and South Carolina still won between the hedges. Now, I will say this. I did think it was going to be closer than people expected because I do think that Georgia, even against Tennessee last week, I do think that it was a little bit of a weird situation where if you watch the Tennessee game, it felt like Georgia came out really flat, and they kind of just felt like, okay, whatever. We just got to win, this. We just got to win a couple games. We'll play Florida. If we beat Florida, we'll play Alabama in the SEC championship game. And I did think that they were already unfocused, so I thought this game would be closer. I didn't think they'd actually lose. But this shows you that they're not right on Alabama's heels. They lost to an unranked team as a three-touchdown underdog at home. You know the last time that Alabama lost to an unranked team? Keep in mind, this was the third team, third unranked team that Kirby Smart's lost to since he got to, to Georgia, by the way, but neither here nor there. You know the last time Alabama lost to an unranked team? 2007, 2007, Nick Saban's first year. They have now won 87 straight games against unranked teams. Georgia just lost to South Carolina as a three-touchdown favorite at home, South Carolina third-string quarterback. But you're trying to tell me that Georgia is right on Alabama's doorstep? Stop! Stop! Get out of here! It's ridiculous. And so... I want to give South Carolina credit, but I also want to talk about the story, which is Georgia, which I've just spent the last seven, eight, nine, ten minutes talking about, and that is that it is absurd that we ever put Georgia on the pedestal with Alabama. Now, look, if you want to talk about Georgia being a good program, that's fine. If you want to put them on the same level as, say, Oklahoma or LSU or whoever, a team that's really close, that's really good, that's winning eight, nine, ten, eleven games a year that just hasn't broke through and won a championship, I can rock with that. I can rock with, over the last three years, Georgia is one of the three or four best programs in college football. But Alabama's the gold standard. Clemson's right on their heels. And then there's a big gap. And then I think you could put Oklahoma in there. I think you could put Ohio State, which has at least won a national championship in the last couple of years. And you could put Georgia. Maybe you could put a couple other teams too. But the point is, this whole facade, everything, everything that Georgia's about has been built on close losses. I've never seen anything like it, and I'm so happy that they got their humble pie. And it was crazy because I really, on my Twitter feed, at Aaron underscore Torres, I really went after Georgia. And I'll give Georgia fans credit. Usually when you're as as 
emphatic as I was, you get, you get pushback from the fan base. And even the fan base is like, no, nah, man, you're right. We got sold a false bill of goods. We got sold that we're right there. Bama doesn't lose these games. Bama doesn't lose to unranked opponents at home when they're three touchdown favorites. So stop. So stop. Like I said, Georgia is the Enron of college football. They're a fraud. Their whole facade has been built on close losses to Bama. And I will say one more thing on Georgia and we'll move on. You want to prove me wrong? Now's the time. I'm laying down the hammer to Georgia. It's October 13th. You guys are listening on October 14th. Georgia, if you're the real deal, if you really are on Bama's level, on Oklahoma's level, on Clemson's level, you know what? Guess what? I will defend you on this. The road is right in front of you. If Georgia wins out, they will make the college football playoff and they will have a chance to compete for a national championship. Because look, it it doesn't really matter, right? One loss, if they win out, they're going to win the SEC East. They'll go to the SEC championship game where they'll either play LSU or Alabama. They win that game, they'll go to the playoff. They might even be the number one seed, depending on how everything else shakes out. I don't think they're going to get there, because if you look at their schedule, they still have Florida, which we're going to talk about in a second, but I think Florida's really, really good. They still have to play Missouri, which is really, really, really good. And they still have to play at Auburn. And that's just to get to the SEC championship game to play Alabama. I think they're taking at least one more loss in the regular season. And then, if they can even get to the SEC championship game, we'll see what happens if they play Alabama or LSU but I'm so happy. I'm so happy for South Carolina. I'm so happy for their fans. And I'm so happy that Georgia got exposed for the frauds that they are. I never bought them. I never bought that they were on the doorstep of Alabama. Like I said, Alabama hasn't lost to an unranked team since 2007. Georgia lost to one at home. They are the Enron of college football. They're fake. They're frauds. They're phonies. Good program, not elite. And let's move on. All right. So in college football. We can go one of two directions. Let's just stay in the SEC. We'll talk Oklahoma, Texas in a second. LSU, Florida. Now look, I know I just came down on Georgia and I had all the hot takes and I'm like sitting here all fired up and I'm all out of breath and I'm all sweaty and stuff because like I'm just so fired up. I'm so glad that Georgia lost. But LSU, Florida. I'll be honest. I don't think there's a great takeaway to have on this game. All I'll say is this. It's the rare game where we get a final score, and I'm actually impressed by both teams. And I know that LSU won by two touchdowns. And, I, you know, by the way, shout out to Vegas because this was one game that I, I took the under in this game, which I totally whiffed on, by the way. But I, from a point spread perspective, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to stay away. It was 13 and a half in Vegas. It ends up closing, uh, and Alabama or LSU ends up winning by 14 points. Unbelievable final score. Uh, An unbelievable game, but it was one where I really came away impressed by both teams, right? And you're not supposed to do this, right? Like, you're supposed to come in with the hot takes like I just did with Georgia, but I don't really have a hot take on this game because when I look at this game, first of all, credit to LSU. This LSU offensive revolution, I don't know that I ever remember anything quite like it in college football. Now, look, Alabama, six, seven years ago, they went to Lane Kiffin. Lane Kiffin modernized the offense. But it wasn't this quickly, overnight, everything flipped. Oklahoma, same thing. When they brought in Lincoln Riley, it took a few games. took a half a season. It took most of the season. It didn't flip like this. LSU is unbelievable. And so when I look at this game, first of all, shout out to LSU because for years, their issue was they had 
the best defense in college football, or one of the two or three best defenses, but the offense just couldn't keep up. And if they didn't win every game 10 to 7 or 13 to 6 or 13 to 10 or 17 to 13, they couldn't compete with the big boys in college football. And so that that's what was so wild about watching this game on Saturday night is that I thought, okay, and, and, and I'll backtrack here. I'll say this. Sometimes, like me with Georgia, you're right, and you do a victory lap, and you walk around your apartment fist pumping, <laughs> fist pumping when Georgia loses that game and high-fiving yourself, which is kind of weird, but hey, neither here nor there. And sometimes you're wrong. And I'll tell you this. I was wrong on Joe Burrow. I was wrong on LSU. I kind of wondered, okay, they've done it against all these inferior defenses. They've done it against Utah State and Northwestern State, which isn't even a state, but that's neither here nor there. And they did it against Texas, but Texas has a bad defense. Could they do it against a real defense? Florida plays real defense. Florida has a top 20 defense. They led the nation in interceptions coming into this game. And LSU picked them apart like a freaking Christmas turkey or Christmas ham or Thanksgiving turkey or whatever you eat for whatever holiday. They picked it apart just like that. And I look at the final stats, it's unbelievable. LSU against one of the top 20 defenses in college football, 511 yards offense, very balanced, 293 yards passing, 218 yards rushing, 9 yards per rush, 12 yards per pass. And by the way, they t- keep in mind they took a couple kneel downs at the end of the game, so those numbers were even higher if you really just take away the last two or three plays when they kneeled down. And I am just so amazed. I am so impressed. I, I, I owe Joe Burrow an apology because he is the maestro of this offense, and it is not slowing down. And we're going to get to Oklahoma in a second because Oklahoma – they're finally playing defense, and now that they're finally playing defense, maybe they can actually compete for a national championship. Well, it's the same with LSU. They finally have the offense. And this offense that was so bad for so long, they struggled so much, out of nowhere, this offense is just unstoppable. And so I give them so much credit. I am still fascinated. And look, we're going to get into the Bama aspect of all this in a minute, but we do need to give credit where it's due. LSU at home, I don't think their defense is great, but the offense continues up and down the field, up and down the field, up and down. And again, it's against a real defense. This was the first time that they played a real defense. Credit to them. I also, by the way, want to give credit to Florida. Because Florida is one of those teams, man, you know, we can't really figure them out, right? Like it goes back to week zero. I was in Hawaii in week zero watching the game in a bar. And it was ugly and it was sloppy and they couldn't protect Felipe Franks. And you're like, this team's terrible. I know they won 10 games last year, but this team's going to go 7-5. and five. They survive against Miami. They should have lost to Kentucky in week two or week three. They end up winning that game. And you think, like, this team just isn't good. Then they're at home. They play Auburn. They continue to improve. They dominate Auburn. And then they go to LSU and play a really tough opponent. They play them really well, too, by the way. That's the one thing with LSU. LSU won the game. But anybody that watched the game knows that it was a lot closer than what the final score would reflect. If you watch the game, you saw that, yes, LSU won by 14, but Florida's second-to-last possession, they drove down the length of the field. Kyle Trask, who's been better than anyone could have expected, that dude threw an interception in the red zone, but they were driving to score. And then the last series of the game, they get stopped in the red zone, which had a, it had a big effect on the gamblers, not so much me because I didn't, bet the, I didn't bet, the, bet the line, but... Like, Florida was right there. And so I give them so much credit. And I will say this really quick on Dan Mullen. I think that between 
the way that Mississippi State is completely falling apart without Dan Mullen and with what he's doing at Florida, I think he's quickly, we're learning very quickly that he might be one of the most underrated coaches in college football. Because I look at that team and I say, there's no way that they should be 5-1 and one in the top 10. And I know they're not in the top 10 anymore, but 5-1 and one in that game at LSU. They're down to their second string quarterback. They played their third string quarterback. The O-line struggled all year. Like that's not a team that you look at it on paper and you say like that's like that team should be in a game at LSU. And so I just think this bodes really well for Florida. I think it bodes really well for the future of Florida because I'll tell you this. I think Kirby Smart, it's all been hype and pomp and circumstance and he's a Saban guy so everybody gives him the benefit of the doubt. I think he's been gassed up by the media. I think Kirby Smart is a media creation largely. I think Dan Mullen's the opposite. I think he just c- continues to win games, but because he's not a saving guy, because he's not, you know, whatever, like, we don't talk about him in the same way. I think Dan Mullen's done more considering what he has to work with than Kirby Smart has. And wait till he gets guys in. Wait till he gets skill players and Wait till he gets a quarterback in. They're on their third string quarterback too. So I give Florida credit, I give LSU credit, and I will wrap on that game by saying this. And I've said this before on this podcast, so if you're a regular listener to the show, it won't be anything new. We have to put aside our opinions on Coach O. Because I will tell you this. Right now, I think it is indisputable. Coach O is one of the best big game coaches in college football. And that's going to sound absurd to you. You're going to think I'm crazy, but just hear me out. I think with Coach O, and I might have even said this with Nick Coffey the other day, but we have this opinion of him. He's the guy that from Ole Miss, and he was in the blind side, and he's doing all the goofy stuff in the blind side, and he's ripping off his shirt, and there's all those stories about that kind of stuff. And it's like, put aside what you think you knew about him at Ole Miss, and just consider this. First of all, I live in L.A. 2013, Lane Kiffin gets fired on the tarmac. Coach O takes over. I think he went 6-2, and two. and if they had beaten, I remember, I'll never forget this, I was driving to work, they were playing UCLA, and, I, and the, the story on local radio was, if Coach O beats UCLA, he's going to end up getting this head coaching job. Now what ended up happening was, they lose to UCLA, it was actually kind of an ugly game, and a couple days later, Steve Sarkeesian gets hired. And the way they lost to UCLA, it was going to be really hard to convince the boosters at, UC, at USC to bring in Coach O because it just, it, you know, you can't lose to UCLA the way he did. So I get it. But I bring that up because he goes to LSU. And I think even when he got the job, it was like, okay, they'll, he's, he's Coach O. It'll be fun. It'll go like seven and five, maybe eight and four. And he'll drink some Red Bulls and he'll go crazy and the guys will play hard for him. But they're not going to win games that matter. You want a crazy stat on Coach O, and this is where it comes in when I say he's one of the, he has become one of the best big game coaches in college football. Here is an insane stat for you. Since the start of last season, I'm just talking 2018, 2019. I'm not talking about seven years, eight years, 10 years. Just since the start of last season, he is six and one against top 10 teams. And the only loss was to Bama. That's it. Six and one against top ten teams—that is insane. Think about the wins that this guy has over the last four, over the last year and a half. So just since the start of last year, beat Georgia last year. He beat Texas uh, at Texas this year. 
He beat Florida last night. He won at Auburn last year. He beat Miami. He beat Central Florida in a bowl game. I mean, that's insane. Think about that again. Georgia, Texas, Auburn, Florida, Miami, Central Florida. Nobody's even uh, – Nick Saban is close to that. Nobody else is even close, though. Nobody else has done anything remotely like that. Even Dabo Sweeney, who's won a national championship, he won two big playoff games, but he didn't have to face anybody like that during the regular season. But Coach O, Georgia at Texas – at Auburn, Florida, it's unbelievable. And so, look, I understand the deal with Coach O. I understand that everything is going to be predicated on whether they can beat Alabama. And I do have my questions as to whether they can beat Alabama or not. I think the defense probably isn't as good. And I think part of it is the fact that the offense is on the field so much. Or, excuse me, it's the opposite. That the offense is scoring so quickly that the defense is on the field more than they've ever been. But we'll figure out in three or four weeks if LSU's the real deal, if they can actually beat Bama this year. But give Coach O credit, man. Six and one against top 10 teams the last two years. That's insane. I think it's a fun story. I think it's an awesome story. And I'm happy for this dude. This is a dude that didn't work out at Ole Miss. It shows you that sometimes in life, look, it's not going to work out the way that you think. It's not a linear path. You don't start here and you finish there. Sometimes there's speed bumps along the way. Sometimes there's roadblocks, etc and you still have success. I'm happy for Coach O. I'm happy for LSU. Another big win. All right, a couple more thoughts on college football, and then I will get to the college basketball segment I want to talk about with Cade Cunningham. So college football, Oklahoma. So I just spent all this time talking about LSU, talking about the fact that LSU finally has an offense. And now that they finally have an offense, maybe, just maybe, they can actually compete for a national championship. It's kind of the same with Oklahoma, only the exact opposite. And what do I mean by that? What I mean is Oklahoma, really since Lincoln Riley has gotten there, since Lincoln Riley's gotten there, this is his fifth year that he's been at Oklahoma. It's his third year as a head coach, but he was the offensive coordinator for two years before that. So now in his fifth year at Oklahoma, four, SEC, four, big, four big 12 titles, he probably will get his fifth this year, three playoff bursts. But you know what happens once they get to the playoff. They can't stop anybody. They don't play defense. Now, they played a little defense two years ago against Georgia, and actually I think Lincoln Riley didn't do the best job calling plays in that game. That was the overtime game where they lost to Georgia at the Rose Bowl. But last year they get to the playoff, and by the way, every game, you can go back and look at the box scores. They, I think they gave up 40 points or more in like their last six games of the regular season or something like that. So anyway, Lincoln Riley... Goes out, he actually fired Bob Stoops, friend of the Eratora Sports Podcast, although I don't think Bob Stoops is coming back on if you listen to that interview. But he fires Bob Stoops' brother, Mike Stoops, and he brings in a new off, a new defensive coordinator. And the big thing with the, with the Oklahoma Sooners was, is this team ever going to play good enough defense to actually win the games that they need to when it matters, right? Like, you win the Big 12, you win the Big 12, you win the Big 12. Eventually, you hit that wall where it's like, I don't think your fan base is ever going to be mad at Lincoln Riley. But like at some point, you want to be able to compete with Bama and Clemson and potentially play for a national championship, right? And so, I watched that Texas game. And if you watch the game, you know, and I know you guys watched the game because the ratings were through the roof. But if you watch that game, what you saw was this. Final score in that game made it feel close. The final score was 34-27. 
if you actually watch that game, it was completely one-sided. Oklahoma, 511 yards of total offense. Jalen Hurts actually had two turnovers in the red zone when they were driving in to score. One was a fumble. One was an interception. And if, if that hadn't happened, they win that game by 21 or 24 or whatever. Instead, they win by a touchdown. But but the story of the game was that Oklahoma dominated and their defense was great. Texas came into the game, into this game, averaging 483 yards of offense. They were held to 310. They came in averaging 41 points per game. They scored 27. And so I look at this Oklahoma team. I don't know if the offense is quite as explosive with Jalen Hurts, although they just might be because Jalen Hurts has been unbelievable. But I'll tell you this. They're playing real defense, and the question now is, is that defense enough for them to compete with Bama, Clemson, whoever? And I think the answer is yes. Now, look, there's still we'll still find out. Now, there's always the possibility that maybe Texas isn't as good as we think. I don't buy that. I actually think Texas is really good. But I think the bigger story is you look at everybody else in college football. There is no team like Bama last year or like Clemson last year that's pulling away from the sport. I mean, Bama-Clemson last year felt like it was a collision course from the first week until the end. Whereas you look at it this year, Bama's got real trouble on defense, man. They played better against A&M, but I think that's more a reflection of A&M, and I'm going to get to A&M in a second. Clemson, they look good against Florida State, but I think realistically it's more likely that Clemson's going to continue to struggle here down the stretch. And so I just look at this situation – And I really do wonder if this is the year Oklahoma can make the jump up because their offense is still good, their defense is much improved, and everybody else got issues. Like I said, Bama doesn't play defense. Clemson, I don't know what the heck's going on with them. LSU doesn't play defense if LSU somehow gets into the playoff. Ohio State's good, but they haven't really been tested yet. Wisconsin, by the way, is really good. I think Wisconsin might be the best team in the Big Ten. They play insane defense, but they got a freshman quarterback. So, like, Wisconsin, is that a team that you could potentially beat if you get to face them in a playoff? So I'm just saying Oklahoma is going to be one of the more fascinating stories, but I think the big story out of that game was their defense, how good that defense looked, and the fact that they might actually have a defense good enough to play for a national championship. All right, one more football thought, then I will get to college hoops. That football thought is very simple. Texas A&M, Alabama. Okay, so I'm watching that Texas A&M Bama game, and I know like you want you want me to talk about Bama, right? Number one team in the country, I guess, right now. By the way, Bama and LSU, new AP poll, Bama LSU number one and number two. But Bama, I don't really want to talk about Bama because I don't really feel like the story's Bama because I was watching that game, and if you watch the game, Bama and um, A&M, it was close. But it wasn't really that close. If you watch the game, Bama got up pretty comfortable pretty early, and it never really felt like, okay, like 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 AM is really in this. Like, like there was a couple moments late where AM cut it to 14, but it never felt like AM was gonna win the game. And so it was business as usual for Bama. Like I said, AM was technically ranked, but Alabama wins these games. They don't lose games they're not supposed to lose, and they were a 17-point favorite coming into this game. They win the game going away. Story to me was A&M, though, because I was thinking about this. I tweeted it, and even A&M fans agreed, is that 
I think you can make a legitimate case. Keep in mind, this is now year two under Jimbo Fisher, and there's plenty of time, and I'm not saying he's a bust, and I'm not saying he should be in trouble, or he's should be fired. I'm not saying any of that. What I am saying is this, though. I think you can make a legitimate case that no football program in college football over the last five, six, seven years has put more money into their program with less return than Texas A&M. And what I mean by that is this. Let me take you back in time because I was thinking about this. I tweeted it, and even a lot of A&M fans agreed with me. You know when you, when you tweet something bad about a program but their fans agree, that's when you know you're pretty spot on. But I'm going to take you back to about 2012 or so. That was the year that A&M goes to the SEC along with Missouri. Johnny Manziel wins the Heisman Trophy. It was a great year to be an Aggie. It was an insane year. By the way, that was a year where if there was a college football playoff, I think there's a chance that A&M might have gotten in. They finished the regular season, whatever, 10-2, and two, but they beat Bama down the stretch. I think their last loss was like the first week of October, and they were playing as well as anybody. But A&M had just gone to the SEC. They had the Heisman Trophy winner, and they just said, you know what? This is great. This is awesome. Like We're just pushing all the chips in the middle. And after that season, the school put in, they invested, this is insane, guys, and I'm not even lying about this, almost $500 million to upgrade the football stadium, Kyle Field, to upgrade facilities, $500 million into the football program, specifically mostly the football stadium, but still $500 million. Johnny Manziel, we won the Heisman, we're in the SEC, and obviously, look, $500 million with the goal of, okay, we're right on the doorstep. We just joined the premier conference in college football. We had the best player in college football last year. So let's push all our chips in the middle and really go all in and try to win a national championship. And then after that, things don't go well with Kevin Sumlin, okay? So what do they do? They fire Kevin Sumlin. Keep in mind, they owed him a $10 million buyout when he left, and it was the very rare buyout where... Even if he got another coaching job, they still owed him the money. So they owed him $10 million. He's getting paid. He got a $10 million check from A&M to leave. Literally a lump sum $10 million check. They go on and hire Jimbo Fisher. You remember the Jimbo Fisher contract when he signed? Jimbo Fisher, if you forgot the numbers, 10 years, $75 million contract. $7.5 million a year. And by the way, I should mention, Jimbo Fisher had a $5 million buyout at Florida State, so they had to pay Florida State $5 million just to negotiate with Jimbo Fisher. They had to pay Kevin Sumlin $10 million to go away. They had to pay Jimbo Fisher $75 million to come. And then, oh, by the way, they also paid the defensive coordinator $2 million named Mike Elko and all the other coaching staff, whatever, blah, 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 but they're all getting paid well, obviously. So you're talking about f- almost $500 million in stadium upgrades. $100 million in coaching staff because they want to catch Bama. And they're not any closer today than they were back in 2012 when this whole process began. And so you ask me what my big takeaway is from that game. It's not about Bama. It's about A&M. And again, to be clear, I'm not saying that Jimbo Fisher isn't the guy. This was a very young team coming into this year. They won nine games last year, but anybody who kind of followed the program knows they lost a lot coming into this year, and the schedule was brutal. If you haven't seen the schedule, they obviously played at Clemson in week two. Clemson is now off the schedule. They don't have to play them anymore, thank goodness. 
Obviously, they play Bama this week. They still have to play at LSU and at Georgia to close the season. They played Auburn already. So the schedule is brutal. And so I think even A&M fans thought, okay, we're probably going to go 8-4 and four this year. If everything breaks right, maybe 9-3. and three. So I'm not saying Jimbo Fisher isn't the guy. I'm not saying he can't figure it out. What I am saying, though, is that this program has invested literally a half a billion dollars to compete with Bama. And they are no closer today than they were the day that Johnny Manziel went to Tuscaloosa and beat Alabama. It's just insane to me. It's just insane to think. And it kind of speaks to the broader thing of college football, right? And we're going to get to Cade Cunningham in a second. But it's just insane to me because how many of these programs have spent how many hundreds of millions of dollars to catch Nick Saban? Auburn. I mean, Auburn. Think about this. Auburn signed Gus Malzahn to a $49 million extension two years ago, and they're ready to buy him out for like $30 million this year. They're ready to pay him $30 million to go away and completely start over. LSU, how many coaching um, you know, style changes and how many facility upgrades, and they just got a $30 million locker room upgrade, and it's like, and nobody's catching Bama. Same with Tennessee, same with Georgia. It's unbelievable to me, but I think A&M, you can legitimately make the argument has put more money into their program with less results than anybody else. That was what I took out of that game. All right. I want to conclude with one basketball story. It's kind of a little bit obscure unless you're like a nitty-gritty college hoops diehard. But I think it's really interesting. So Cade Cunningham is the number two high school prospect in America. Evan Mobley, who lives literally a half an hour from where I live in California, is the number one prospect. His dad is an assistant at USC. Evan Mobley, the number one player in America, is going to USC. The number two player is Cade Cunningham. And Cade Cunningham forever has been projected to go to Oklahoma State. And the reason why is pretty simple. It's because his brother, Cannon Cunningham is an assistant coach at Oklahoma State. And so probably about five months ago, I think he got hired in May, Cannon Cunningham, Cade Cunningham's brother. He got hired in May. And at that point, like literally colleges, there were a lot of colleges, big time coaches, just stopped recruiting Cade Cunningham. They were just like, it's not worth it. You're going to go play for your brother. Like we're going to not waste our time. And I'll give credit to North Carolina. I'll give credit to Kentucky. Both of those programs continue to recruit Cade Cunningham because they heard the same thing that I heard. And by the way, I put this out. I tweeted this out on August 1st. What I heard from two people that I trust is that Cade Cunningham was not a done deal to Oklahoma State and that he was telling people, continue to recruit me. I haven't made my decision. I will not be 100% committed to Oklahoma State just because my brother's coaching there. They're in the mix. They're in the conversation. I'm not saying I'm not going there, but I will seriously consider your school if it's the right fit for me. And so I put out that tweet on August 1st because I shared it again today. And North Carolina and Kentucky have continued to recruit Cade Cunningham. And why am I bringing this up right now? It's because on Friday, Kentucky had Big Blue Madness, which is their Midnight Madness event. Unlike Kansas, there were no acrobatic dancers, no Snoop Dogg. Just play basketball. I know. It sounds crazy. You can, do, you can do one of these things without acrobatic dancers and controversy. Neither here nor there. But Cade Cunningham was down there. Some of Kentucky's other big-time commits were down there, including Terrence Clark, who's like the number three player in the country. 
And on Sunday afternoon, my guy, Evan Daniels, the recruiting guru, he is the man. He was the original guest of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Evan Daniels said that he went on his little, um, what do you call it, the crystal ball projections. And he changed his crystal ball pick from Oklahoma State, where Cade Cunningham's brother is an assistant coach, to the University of Kentucky. And so to me, this is massive. Because first of all, if you know Evan, if you follow his history, Evan is as plugged in as anybody. He and Corey Evans are the recruiting guys that I trust more than anybody else. But if you also know Evan's history, he doesn't make a recruiting prediction unless he feels really, really good that that's going to happen. Unless he has really good intel that it's a done deal. And so I bring that up because it looks very realistic that Kentucky could get Cade Cunningham the number two player in the country. Now look, Kentucky's gotten great players before. This isn't like a like you know an incredible story because Kentucky might get a, an elite player. It's that Kentucky might get an elite player whose brother is an assistant coach at Oklahoma, who everyone assumed was going to Oklahoma State. I said Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. His brother's at Oklahoma State. And everybody assumed he was going to Oklahoma State. They continued to recruit him. And now Evan is reporting that Cade Cunningham will eventually commit to Kentucky. And I'll tell you this. If it happens, this is massive. I think you could make the argument. And I, I haven't thought enough about this, so, so don't quote me on this. If you want to quote me, quote me. But I'm not holding you to it. If John Calipari gets Cade Cunningham, I think you can make the argument that this is the biggest recruiting get of his entire career at Kentucky. Now, look, he's had number one players in the class before. But John Wall, he recruited for many years. He had John Wall committed uh, basically, I can't even remember, which is insane because I wrote a book on this stuff. But I don't know if John Wall ever technically committed to Memphis or not. I, I can't remember now. But everybody knew John Wall was going to Memphis when Calipari was there. Calipari leaves, goes to Kentucky, brings John Wall with him. Anthony Davis was the number one player in the country. But to get this kid, whose brother is an assistant coach at Oklahoma State, if they could get him, that would be maybe the greatest coup of John Calipari's recruiting career. And I'm just saying this. I'm not saying it's 100%. I'm not saying it's definitely going to happen. But two things. Evan Daniels, he doesn't put in crystal ball predictions unless he has great reason to believe that this thing is going to happen the way that he thinks it's going to happen. I think I, I saw a stat where every crystal ball prediction that he's put in for the 2020 recruiting class has ended up being correct. So he he says, uh, you know, Aaron Torres is going to, uh, you know, Montana Tech. He's nailed every single one of those. By the way, I would never commit to Montana Tech, but I'm just saying hypothetically. And so Cade Cunningham, and by the way, if you haven't seen Cade Cunningham, because I want one more thought and then we're going to wrap here. If you haven't seen Cade Cunningham, he's the real deal. So I, I said this earlier in the summer when Terrence Clark committed to Kentucky. Terrence Clark's the number four ranked player in the country. I've seen every major high school player. I get why Evan Mobley is number one. Evan Mobley is like seven foot one, like seven foot six wingspan, handles the ball. I mean, he looks like a young Giannis. But you never know how a player like that's going to evolve and he's skinny and all this stuff. Cade Cunningham's about six six, six seven. He's basically a point guard. Lead guard, big, strong, with a complete game. He can get to the rim. He can shoot. He can score. Uh, he can finish at the rim. He's a good passer. He's a good rebounder for a guard. And so I bring all this up because I said this earlier this summer. There's only two guys that when I've walked in the gym the first time and saw them play that I said, 
that guy looks like a future NBA All-Star. Cade Cunningham and Terrence Clark were the two guys. I'd add, I remember walking in the gym at the Pangos camp, and I was like, who is that guy? Like, like rips down a board. And remember, these are all high school All-American top 50 type recruits. Rips down a board, length of the court, finishes at the rim. And so I only bring that up because if Kentucky pulls this off, it's unbelievable. And one last thought on this, by the way. If Kentucky pulls this off, two years ago, Duke had what many consider to be the greatest recruiting class ever. Zion Williamson, R.J. Barrett, Cam Reddish, top three ranked players in some recruiting classes. I think you could make a legitimate argument that this class, if they got Cade Cunningham with Terrence Clark and B.J. Boston, excuse me, that class would be on par with Zion Williamson, R.J. Barrett, and uh, Cam Reddish. Now, I'm not saying, now look, now look, I know that Zion Williamson, R.J. Barrett, Cam Reddish were ranked one, two, and three in the recruiting services, at least at some point. I know the recruiting services changed, whatever. Cade Cunningham, Terrence Clark, B.J. Boston will not be one, two, three, but I'm talking about comparably because I think B.J. Boston is a top 10 pick. Cam Reddish ended up as a top 10 pick. I think Cade Cunningham is a potential national player of the year. Zion Williamson is a potential national player of the year. Now, am I ready to go all in and say Cade Cunningham to Kentucky's done? I'm not. I'm just saying that Evan wouldn't put it in unless he had a reason to believe that this thing was going to happen. So watch out, and I'm telling you, if Kentucky lands this kid, Cade Cunningham, to go with Terrence Clark, to go with B.J. Boston, that is a historic recruiting class, and I think you're talking about potentially two top three picks in Terrence Clark and Cade Cunningham, B.J. Boston, a top ten pick. All right, I've somehow made it close to an hour, uh, especially with the Georgia stuff. I'm not going to lie. I'm exhausted because crushing Georgia, as fun as it is, and trust me, I had fun. I did have fun. Uh, it is exhausting. So that's all for today's Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. I want to thank you guys for listening. I want to thank you guys for getting through an hour's worth of content, but I think it was worth it. I think it was fun, and I hope you guys enjoyed. So if you're not subscribed, please make sure to subscribe to the show. You can do it on iTunes. You can do it on Podcast Addict, Podbean, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, wherever you listen. Make sure to rate and review the show. Give us a quick five stars like Jay Strunk and Sarah did. Also, make sure to follow on Instagram, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast. And finally, if you have any questions, we'll get back to college hoops, more college hoops, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. That is all for today. I am exhausted. I need a nap. I need a hug. Uh, I need to go bother some Georgia fans. That is all. Thank you for today's show. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Richard Sherman, that mess of a human being who came after me. And then he came after Baker Mayfield. He was proven wrong both times, neither here nor there. Thank you guys for listening. I appreciate it. I will be back later this week. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.